the world is broken. And people are hurting. They're carrying years of past regrets, failures, and pain. They're lost in a fog of lies, disillusioned by what the world says is happiness. They've fallen into the trap of sin, desperate to become the good person they want to be, but powerless to change. Good to see you. I appreciate, I always say appreciate, I, I have a new appreciation for Doug, man, preaching two sermons, man. This is, this is for the doll. For, you know. <laughs> it's rough, you know, cause you, you get, you think you did pretty good, but then you realize, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but anyway, uh, my hat's off to you, Doug, for doing this twice a day. But anyway, I, I enjoy, I appreciate him asking me and it's always a blessing and, uh, he, he, uh, he's got a lot of faith. 
I joked, I said before, you know, he's heard me preach. I don't know why. He asked me again, so he's, I don't know, glutton, glutton punishment or something. But I, I do appreciate him. Um, I'm a grandpa. I mean, I will, thank you, thank you. I, I was, is my wife here yet? Okay, she is. I'm sorry, honey. Sometimes, sometimes the Spirit of God takes her away and she doesn't make it on time. But, um, but I mean, we, we've been grandparents, I guess. Well, technically the baby's not born yet, but that doesn't prevent her from spending money on it. <laughs> but, um, anyway, so we had revealing the other day and, and, uh, his name is Quinn, um, Patrick. I had to write his name down on my hand to remember it. I hate, to, <laughs> I hope they weren't offended, but just, you know, Quinn, I thought it was something else. They said it because they, they told us it was another name. And so once I got that name in my head and I'm stuck, you know, and, uh, but then they, they changed the name. So I had to write it down. So Quinn Patrick is his name. He has my middle name and his father's middle name, my son. So bless him. Like I said, my wife's already buying stuff. You know, <laughs> you know, taking pictures of it and all that. So we're excited. We're excited for it. It's a new venture in our life. And um my my little girl just turned sixteen yesterday. Four more years she'll be gone, thank God. <laughs> get him out, get him out. That's what I say, get him out, get him out. I'm alright with it. I'm alright with it. I like the house all by the TV all my own. I love that. I'm okay. I'll miss you, but goodbye. And uh, so we're excited. So the Lord's been the Lord's been good. Um, <clears throat> this sermon, it, it's not all about us. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. Many years ago, oh, I'd say ten years ago or something like that. That's when you're in my age. That's a long time, I guess. And um, we we were part of a independent fundamental Bible-believing Baptist church, okay? And like I said before, if you don't know what that is, you're okay. You're okay. That's not a bad thing. No, but I, I do appreciate that that heritage and um, being there and, and what they did teach me. But the, the, the one facet that we came from was they were, I don't know how to say it, but we wore suits and ties and, and ladies wore dresses and, and you just, you dressed up. It was kind of a, it was part of, we had a seminary in the church that that's what I was a part of. So it was kind of like a little bit, I don't know the word to use again, but 90% of those teenagers in that church went to the Christian school. And the majority of them you know, lived in the Christian home, went to the Christian school, then went to the Christian college. They didn't go to secular college. They went to Christian college. And from there, they went back into Christian school as teachers, principals, or into the ministry as youth pastors, song leaders, preachers. And never, to me, really got a dose of the real world and what it's like and what life is about. And we went on a mission trip. It was some place or so. And the and the missionary gathered them all around in all their nice 
bright, shining young faces, just eager uh, to serve the Lord and all about. I mean, these these young people were all in types of different types of activities and and singing and and ministry and all this. And that missionary told him, he said, I just want to tell you right off the bat before we get going, it's not about you. He told him, he pointed a finger at him and said, it's not all about you. It's about the Lord. So forget about what you think you want to do for God or what you're going to do for God. It's not about you and what you can do for Him. It's all about Him. And when those young people came back and they talked about that and they said that made an impression on them. And I made an impression on me these years, 10 years or so, that I've never forgotten that. That, you know, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's not all about us. And it's about the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, verse, am I right? Nope. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. The Lord said this. He said, now these are the ones, talking about the, the sowing of the seed, the, the parable, the different ground, and some grew and some didn't. And he talks about these. He says, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Notice that it becomes unfruitful. I always had the imagination that it began to sprout. It, it began to do something. But it becomes unfruitful. It loses its fruit. You know, how many of us Christians, man, we get in there and we, we get saved and we get gung-ho for the Lord and then the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire of other things get in there and it chokes the word. And one time when we were bearing fruit, it seems like we don't have much to show for the Lord. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, for, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Now, I, I don't know about you, but for me, somebody just texted me. i got to turn this sucker off. I don't know about you, but for me, the... Older I've gotten, and I'm 50 now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I can barely get around here. I think they got a walker for Christmas, you know, a little walker with a thing for me. But, um, but the older I've gotten, the more I've gotten concerned that life is about me, about my life. Because let's be real. The chances of me living another 50 are slim to none. I mean, really. How many people live to be a 100 years old? The Bible says, you know, somewhere around 75, 80. So, you know, I got 30 years, maybe, if God gives me the long life of the Bible. But you know, even that, 80 years old, we know people, and many times that those last 10, even 15 years are not good years. You know, you're, you're, my wife was in a nursing home and, and it just tore her up to see those people in there five, six, seven, eight, ten years of their life. You know, so I think, man, I ain't got much time. And so I've been centered more on myself. 
I've been, I've been worrying more about my life and about grandkids and what am I going to do and the house payment and all these things. And, and my eyes have gotten off the Lord. Now, you know, those are noble things. Those are noble causes. Car payments, groceries, vacations. Man, God wants you to be, to, to be, God wants those things for us. But when it becomes that that's the problem. So, you know, it seems to be in the Bible that the simple things, the old, the, the the very, you know, just little things are so profound. And in John chapter three, verse thirty, John the Baptist is confronted by some of his disciples. And they have a question. And they ask about Jesus. And did you hear about Jesus, this guy that, that you talked about? And you know, these people are following him and all this. And, and yet there was still this group gathering around John. And John says this, He must increase, but I must decrease. Now again, this is not a shameful plug for experiencing God, which I am teaching, but in small groups tonight. And Nicole. Yeah. But, um, at five, thank you. <laughs> we're, we're serving, we're having Mexican. But, um, you know, that book is a simple book. And I don't say that bad. It's a simple book. It has, it just brings out these simple truths and it actually kind of goes over and over it again and again to kind of get it through our thick skulls. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what this is like. You know, it's simple. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, and we said about before, and Doug said it, you know, that there's no fluff in the Bible. There's no extra words. There's no filling in the space for God. Everything has a meeting. Everything has a purpose. And so I just kind of want to look at each of the, each of the words, kind of, kind of little the phrases. And kind of see what God has for us. Now the first one there, he. He. Now in the New Testament language, um, and I don't want to get too detailed, but it, the language is written that who you're, you know, the, the subject of the verb, he, she, they, them, you, is part of the, is part of the action. It's one word. It's like Spanish. You don't have to have pronouns in there. But when there is a pronoun, it's for emphasis. And in this passage, the pronoun in, in the New Testament, in the, how the original was written, the, the he is added. So it's emphasis. John said, he, he must increase. It's imperative. I'm sorry. It, it's, it, yeah, it's emphasis. It's the emphasis. It's not he and something. It's not he in your ministry, he in what you're doing for the Lord. It's just he. He is supposed to increase. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he said, for me to live, man, my whole life is for Christ. I'm living for Christ. That's what my life is all about. Now, there is a there is a deception. There is a, a lie from Satan. 
that tells of, man, if I give my life to God, I'm going to miss out on so many cool things. I'm not going to be able to do all kinds of neat stuff. Oh, let's see, like get drunk and find yourself in a ditch? Or not know how you got home at night? Or sleeping around and end up with an STD that now you can't have children? Right? Or strung out on drugs where you're losing your teeth and your weight and your health? You see? And that's a lie. That's a lie. I think if I give my life to Christ, I'm going to miss out. Let me tell you what, life will find you. And when it does, it's going to kick you in the britches. Okay? Because life is bills and heartache and problems and medical expenses and prodigal children, prodigal spouses, prodigal family. I mean, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's good things in life. But I'll tell you what, if you don't have God, man, life can destroy you. So for me to live is Christ, he says. It's an emphasis. Now, the second thing, it's an imperative, must. He must increase. Okay? The idea there is it is necessary. Something has to be done. Now, there is a biblical principle. Um, you, know, I, you know, the Bible is cool. I don't know if you know, the Bible is pretty cool how it's written. Because there's principles and truths that God writes here that, that apply across the board in so many different things. You know, there's so much to glean out of the Bible, man, when you read it. And in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes this, he says, but I say this, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. Talks about, talks about giving. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Now here's the key, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, and it's the same idea is putting God where he needs to be. I shouldn't be a, oh, well, it's time to do my experience in God. <laughs> Boy, I got to read through this thing fast, write down a couple things, right? Or man, I guess I, I got to pray. I know I got to pray every day or read my Bible. So might as well get my two verses in and read my two verses, right? And God says, look, man, do me a favor and don't do that. You know, just thanks anyway, but no thanks. If it's not from the heart, man, if it's not out of a desire. You know, Paul said the love of Christ constrains us. And he was talking about how he was ministering and giving and sacrificing to those people that he led to the Lord. And he said, man, the love of Christ burns in my heart and gives me that desire to do what I do. My love for him. So it shouldn't be out of necessity. It shouldn't be because you think you have to. And God doesn't want that. But it's a must. It's a must. 
The next is increase. Now the increase is action. He must increase. There's the action there. Now in James chapter number two says this. He says, thus also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says this, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And the idea is not that that I work to have faith, but my faith makes me work. That the faith inside of me gives me that desire to do things for the Lord. And so the action here is that he must increase. Now the idea of increase is not necessarily volume or quantity, which in some of us, that's not a bad idea. You know, I'm, I'm a, I am an ordained minister. I've been for, man, a long time, 20, 30 years, something like that. Back when I was 19. 20, 22, I forget when it was. We got into ministry. I was a youth minister for 10 years, whatever. Was in a seminary as a professor and did all that stuff. And you know what happened is that we got, we got burned. We got tired. Some, sometimes, um, I was at church and doing something every day of the week. Whether I was up there and in teaching, we were doing visitation, Wednesday night service, and all oh man was just constant. So when we moved back to Texas, I quit. I said, I've had enough. I'm tired of working for God. I'm burnt out. I don't want to do anymore. I'm done. Well, we'll go to church somewhere, but I ain't about to get back and do something. You know? And I, and I lost the sight that it's not about quantity. Now, there's some of you that aren't doing anything. And you need to do something. But it's not about being busy. But the increase means quality. You know, what God what God gives me to do, do with all my heart. And, and give it my all. I mean, really let God increase in my life. You know, it was, it was the fallacy of the Pharisees, and that is Jesus knew that, that. I mean, they were so into all the things that they did for God, and Jesus tells them in Matthew chapter 15, it says, you know, all you do all these things, but your heart is far from me. You're busy, religious people, but your heart is far from me. Your heart's not in it. So you know what? So it, he must increase, increase in the in the quality that I have him in my life. And it goes back to this again. He must increase, but I must. Now there's the hard part. I must do something. You know, like I say, it's e- easy to get busy about the Lord, but how about myself? How about getting myself out of the way? <clears throat> Back when I, I was um, over 
Christian school, I had to teach the chemistry class. I never had chemistry in my life, but yet here I was teaching the chemistry class. And so I would read the chapter before we, <laughs> I was a chapter ahead of the kids in the class, these two girls that were in high school. And um, one of the experiments we had to do was we had marbles, marbles and BBs in jars. It was all about chemicals and atoms and all this kind of stupid stuff. No, it's not. Well, all this kind of stuff. You know, I, I loved it. I loved that class. I, I did. I, I, I enjoyed the chemistry class. But one of the things we did is, you know, you had a, a jar full of, of BBs and a jar full of marbles. <clears throat> and you poured the BBs into the jar of marbles. But because the marbles, they're bigger and they have space, all the BBs will fit inside the jar of marbles and it doesn't overflow. And the kids were all cool and neat and, yeah, it was science. But, you know, later on I thought about that, and that is, you know, that's kind of what my life is. And that is, yeah, I pour God into my life, but I pour him into where all the cracks and the spaces I have left of all my marbles that I have in there. And I ain't got many marbles left. But, see, the marbles, but the thing is, is I, I, I got my marbles in there. And God just fits in the spaces in between. And yeah, I can say that I poured God in and I got God in in me. But I got a lot of marbles taking up space. What I need to do, I need to grab some of the marbles and throw them out. So that I can put more BBs in my jar. You see, I need to get some of myself out of the way. So I can put more God in me. Because I got too much of me taking up space. I got too much of what I want to do and all about me in the way. You see? I got to get rid of some marbles. And so he says, he must increase, but I must, I must decrease. I must decrease. Not just in the quality, but in the quantity. I'm doing too many things for myself that I can't make it for the Lord. I can't do things for God because my time is all filled up with me. Me, me, me. And that's the reaction. Decrease. Now, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. It says that he is the head of the body and the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, the preeminence there means the spotlight. I mean, the the high muckety-muck, the, the, the grand Pumbaa chair, you know, that's what that is. That is the big wig, top dog, whatever you want to call it. That's the preeminence. Okay, gets the spotlight. And he says there, he, he needs the pre, he needs the preeminence in my life. He needs the spotlight. It needs to be about the Lord and not about me. Now the story I could not get out of my mind this week was the story of the prodigal son. And that's how we hear the story, right? We hear it called the prodigal son. 
When Jesus told that parable in Luke chapter 15, if you go to verse number one, you find out what the whole thing, this whole thing started. Because it says, and that's what the Bible says. It says, all the publicans and sinners came to Jesus. As like a sinner's convention, I guess, you know, publicans are the, what Doug say? You said like they're the lowest of, they were right above dung collectors. That's a publican was because see, a publican was a Jew who sold out to the Roman government and was the tax collector for Rome. And what they do is they, yeah, they, they tell you the amount of tax, but they up the price on the tax so that whatever was, you know, after they paid what was to Caesar, they pocketed the rest. And they were scoundrels. They hated them. They hated them because they were betrayers. It's almost like saying for us to understand us, it's almost like having your child. Matter of fact, the, the idea of, of a Jewish family having a child as a tax collector was almost like you wrote them off. You considered them dead, right? Is it something like that? Having one of your children join ISIS. That's the idea. That's the correlation. And here, and these are Jews, the Pharisees and the scribes and these publicans and sinners, they're all Jews. And the publicans and sinners come to Jesus. All of them, it says. They must have got together and they must have talked and said, Hey guys, let's get you and some of our sinner friends and let's go down and talk to Jesus. And we gotta have some questions. And, and there, and there's this big old group that comes. And the Pharisees and the scribes, which are the religious people of the day, the churchgoers, the Sunday school teachers, the people active in the youth ministry and they're the people active in the mission work and the people active in bringing the food and they're they're, they're the, they're the workers and they see that and they say, man, what's Jesus doing with them? And so Jesus goes and tells the parables, tells a parable of, um, the, the shepherd who loses the sheep and the woman who loses a coin. And then the third one he tells them is the prodigal son. And the Bible says in Luke 15, verse 25, it says, a certain man had two sons. Two sons. One, we know, is the prodigal son, the younger son, he says. And the younger son is wants to go live it up. And he says, Father, give to me my, my inheritance. And he takes his, what he has and he goes and he squanders it, the Bible says, on on prostitutes and living it up. And squanders it all. And becomes less with nothing. Matter of fact, the Bible says he goes into a far country. So he actually left, the idea is he left Israel. He went into another nation where Gentiles of non-Jewish people and worked for a non-Jewish man. I mean, he was bottom of the totem pole. But he had that aha moment. And what we talked about in the landing is that aha moment, which is CR for, for young people. And the aha moment is when the Bible says he came to himself. He said, man, what am I doing? And anybody who's ever, anybody in here is a Christian, you have had that aha moment. Cause that is when you, when you see yourself as a sinner, right? When you saw what you were and you saw who God was and you sinned against God and you came to God and repentance and faith, that's that aha moment. You see, and he had that aha moment and said, I need to go back to my father and humility and in faith and repentance. He went back. And of course the father took him in and did all that. 
and, and accepted him. And now the whole catch, though, the whole deal of that parable, believe it or not, was the second son. Because that's the son that's like the religious people. They get all about themselves. See, they get caught up in who they are and what they're doing for God and forget about the God they serve. And that's the elder son that's like the Pharisee and the publican, and I mean the Pharisees and the scribes. And Jesus says, and that elder son was out there in the field. He was a hard worker. He was out there doing what he was supposed to be doing, taking care of the family because the younger son left. He was out there working for dad, making sure things were done. He was a good boy. He was doing what he was supposed to do. But see, his heart was not in it. And he came back and he was mad because his father was joyful over his brother that came back and was alive and was not out in sin and in the world and doing wicked. And he had come back and he was mad because it was all about him. He said, man, you didn't put the fatted calf for us and you didn't do anything for me. And look what I've done for you, father. Because, it, see, it was all about him. And so, you know, we need to get ourselves out of the way. He must increase, but I must decrease. And God helps to have that aha moment where we see what in our lives, where we've put ourselves before God and, and live in our lives for ourselves and God needs to get involved in our life and be the preeminence in what we do. Amen. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord, I do thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you, Lord, again for Christ and, Lord, how he gave himself for us. Lord, help us to give ourselves to him in service in our lives and in our heart mainly, Lord, in our heart, because where our heart is there, that's where our feet will take us. God, just bless this church. We thank you, Lord, again for how you've grown new life. Continue to lead, guide, and direct us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.